Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians. Uh, we'll, we'll probably get to that in a little bit. There's going to be a lot of jumping around this morning, but that's probably the first place you'll want to have open and, and to tag along. I will put a lot of scripture verses on the screen uh, that aren't in 1 Corinthians, but just kind of preparing you because that's probably the first book you'll jump into. So last week, um, I'm just going to jump right into it. Last week, we, I talked to you about how every Christian is a minister. In the Bible, the understanding of ministry, ministry gets done not by just the pastors and elders of a church or the really committed Christians of the church, but that ministry is done by all Christians. And um, to encourage that, I sent up a list of basically looking through the entirety of the New Testament, all the ways we saw ministry happening in the New Testament. I said there's about 13 broad categories of ministry. And I asked you, how does God, how would God be con having you consider ministries in which you can serve? And so for an example, you know, Greg and I and the, and the music team, we were in their back talking, and we realized that, that their ministry, you might think it's a music ministry, because that's how we're thinking about it, right? But if you're thinking biblically about it, their ministry is a ministry of encouraging the body of Christ. And I, I don't know about you guys, but man, I was particularly encouraged. Savannah, where are you? Are you here? In this? I mean, Savannah in the room yet? Man, that song she sang, I was like weeping. That was amazing. My, my point is, that is an example of a ministry of encouragement. And I said, hey, how would God have you pray about ways you can be involved in these various ministries? And I wrapped up last week's sermon by saying that, in, in effect, everything I said last week was on spiritual gifts, even though I never used the word a single time in the entire message. It was all about spiritual gifts. This morning, I want to do two things. Number one... I want to make a biblical argument that spiritual gifts as we commonly know it are actually spiritual ministries given to you by God, not special abilities that you need to discover and then use. Okay? And I know, I realize that's going against the conventional wisdom. I recognize in a church like ours, the, the distinctions may be a little bit subtle. But I grew up, as I've shared with some of you, I was discipled and raised in a Pentecostal charismatic tradition, and we had a very unusual view of spiritual gifts. So if I were to preach this same sermon in the Pentecostal charismatic churches that I was a part of in my younger Christian years, I would not have a job anymore, probably. But I do want to tell you that this difference is significant, and you'll see what I mean at the very end of the sermon. So the first thing I want to do is load up reasons. I want to make a case for why the conventional understanding of spiritual gifts is actually not the case. They're not abilities we have to discover that the Holy Spirit gives us and then we use, but they're actually ministries that God is calling all of us to be a part of. And then my second thing I want to do is briefly illustrate what that might look like in practice. In 1949, Gilbert Ryle introduced a new phrase into modern philosophy. The phrase is category mistake. Basically, a category mistake is presenting something as in a particular category when in fact it belongs in a, another category. Let me illustrate. If someone who didn't understand Christianity, if you were to have a conversation with them and you ask them, what is the church? The response you'll likely get from them is that the church is a building the church on Mackenzie Street, as an example. But you as a Christian would know that if I asked you the question, what is a church, you would know that a church is a community of believers. 
Now, you may not know that it comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which means assembly or congregation, and later it came to be meant the called out ones, but you would know that it was a community of believers. For someone outside the church to say that a church is a building, when in fact the church is a community of people, that would be a category mistake on their part, confusing some concepts and shoving it into another. Let me give you some more illustrations to prove the point. Here are some examples of a category mistake. The number two is blue. Green ideas sleep the best. The musical key of this song is football. Now, you, you just obviously know these sentences, though grammatically correct, make no sense because they're guilty of category mistakes. Numbers do not contain the property of color, right? Blue could never be two, or excuse me, two could never be blue, it could never be green, it could never color because color is not a property of numbers. Ideas do not require physical rest. Football is, not a, is an athletic sport, not, a, a, not pitches or a scale of music. So a category mistake is when you take the concepts from one field and you try to make them work into another. And I am convinced that we have made a category mistake regarding this idea of spiritual gifts. Now, if you can see on the screens behind me, I know the words are kind of small. It's the best I could do. I have listed here the four chapters from the Bible that whenever you're talking about spiritual gifts, by and large, these are the four chapters people are going to go to. Now, if you really know a lot about this topic, I did not include first. 1 Peter 4.10, because that's just a very broad way of discussing uh, uh, gifts of word and gifts of deed. So I just put the four that Paul primarily talks about, and that in this topic, this is what people think ministry or spiritual gifts are. It kind of flows like this. People will say, these are the lists that Paul talks about spiritual gifts that God has given to people, special abilities, and then you, you as a Christian need to discover yours and use them. And when giving advice to people about how to serve in a church, it kind of goes like this. Discover what your gifts are, what your special abilities are, what your spiritual strengths are, and serve in that area. Right? You probably heard something similar to that. It's kind of like a Christian version of a superpower, right? But, but instead of super strength or super speed or spidey sense... You have this unusual ability, that's the operative word, an ability to teach better than others, an ability to administrate better than others, an ability to lead better than others. And they say that's because that's the Holy Spirit's gift to you. But I believe this is a category mistake. As a matter of fact, as you look at these four chapters, it's more, much more likely that Paul is giving a, a mixed list of ministries we do and People who are in those ministries. So if you just look at the list, people in those ministries are along the lines of like apostles and prophets, uh, evangelists, and ministries that we do are along the lines of like prophecy, a word of wisdom. And so ministries that we all can just do are kind of in italics. I don't know if you can see that. And the, the non-italics are just people who are fulfilling those ministry roles. So you got teachers, and then right below that, teachers is someone filling that role. Then you got miracles, our ministries, things that Christians do. So I think what Paul is presenting is a mixed list of the ministries available to us all and examples of individuals who are in those ministries. Now, to be clear, 
God, through His Spirit, empowers all of His people because that's what He does. If you remember the very first message in this series, we talked about what the Holy Spirit's job is to do. And that is for you and I to extend the actual work of Christ in this world as His ambassadors. For someone to look at these lists and say, these are unique, special abilities that the Holy Spirit gifts to you is a category mistake. And I believe that the evangelical church has been caught up in this particular category mistake for the past century, specifically since the dawn of the, the, the modern Pentecostal movement that started in 1906 with the Azusa Street Revival that started here in, in, in Los Angeles. I think ever since then, we've kind of been off course on this topic. And because this view is so popular, this is the predominant view that, that these spiritual gifts are actually abilities rather than just ministries we are all called to participate in, I want to spend some time giving you some biblical arguments that these are not gifts as in abilities, but ministries that every one of us has an opportunity to serve in. Now, I want to be clear. This is not, what I'm going to teach to you, is not just something that I came up on my own as if the whole church had it wrong for 116 years and praise God, Pastor Rick figured it out this month. That is not what I'm getting at here at all, okay? As a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, I heard about a theologian who was presenting a very different view of spiritual gifts than, than and I had encountered or others had encountered, but I just didn't have time to get into it. Um, I was no longer in Pentecostal charismatic churches and circles, so the topic wasn't as pertinent. So I, I didn't deal with it. But now that we jump back into this series, I always had questions and concerns. I pulled his book off my library, studied it through along with a other couple books this week. Then I reached out to him through some friends, and we got together, had lunch. And I spent a couple hours just peppering with all kinds of questions because I think what he says makes a lot of sense. And it turns out, quite a few scholars and theologians in the church today are agreeing that our current view of spiritual gifts as special abilities is not the case. But because our current view is so entrenched, it's hard to turn that tide. So, the book I'm referring to is this one right here, What Are Spiritual Gifts? Rethinking the Conventional View by Dr. Kenneth Birding. I was hoping to have some copies to put in our book spot. We'll probably have some up there next week. If, if you really want to do a deeper dive, basically the arguments I'm presenting to you, by and large, are the arguments that Dr. Birding has put together. He has been very helpful in me figuring this out. Now, so let me just say this. This morning's sermon it is going to be, if you haven't picked up on it already, a little bit more like lecture-like than preaching-like, right? So I don't think, I, I, don't, I haven't planned any jokes or illustrations in here. Uh, just going to lay it out for you. You're going to see how the sausage is made this morning. Okay, what I mean by that is while I believe this, what Dr. Birding says is correct, and I'm changing my views on spiritual gifts, I haven't answered all the questions. Right? This is a huge topic. But... I think there's enough evidence to think differently about it, and what I want to do is welcome you into the process of what I call theological method. How we go about thinking about something against scripture, what is it going to look like, what it means, and then how we apply that to our lives. And I hope that process itself is helpful for you. Because let's face it, friends, this side of heaven, we're not going to know everything there is to know about God and, and the word of God and scripture and his working in the world. It's just impossible. 
So we will always be reforming our minds by what Scripture teaches. And it's not about our traditions. It's not about what we're comfortable with. It's not about what we're used to. It's about truth, right? Even if that means we have to change some long-standing beliefs that we once held. Now, I'm not talking about the deity of Christ, those kinds of things. But on the topic of spiritual gifts, I believe we can say that's, that's not an essential to our faith. And so I want to welcome you into that process. So what I want to give you this morning are eight biblical reasons for this perspective I'm presenting. So here they are, number one. Here's reason number one as I thought through this. Many people assume that the Greek word charisma, or the English word we translated gift, means special ability. So let me explain that. In your English translations, more often than not, when you see the word gift in there, Behind that in the original language is the Greek word charisma. Now you go, wait a minute, we have an English word charisma. Yes, we've also used the Greek word charisma and brought that directly into the English language and we've made that mean something slightly different as if we needed to confuse things more. My point simply is, whenever you read the English word gift in your New Testaments, behind that word typically is the English or the Greek word charisma. And we assume that the word gift means special ability because we're misunderstanding how words work, and this adds to the confusion. So any of you out there bilingual or multilingual, raise your hand. So a handful of you. So you're going to understand what I'm talking about right now. Languages are not one-to-one correspondences with each other as if they were all codes, right? That's not how language works. In other words, it's not as easy as finding one word in one language and then going to another language to find the exact corresponding word. It doesn't work like that. Most times, the general sense will carry over, which is why we can translate pretty easily. We can communicate in different languages. Normally, it works fine. But occasionally, there are just simply words and concepts that do not exist in another language, right? There's an expression or cultural idea that exists in one culture that does not exist in another culture. And again, uh, just had a horrible illustration, but, but, but it captures the idea. In English, we don't have a concept of honorable suicide, right? But in the culture, my Japanese culture, we have a word for that that doesn't translate in English without actually having to explain the reasons behind it and what it all means. But that's an illustration of how languages don't work this way, right? So, for example, the word gift is another good example. In Greek, charisma simply means gift, that which is freely and graciously given, favor bestowed, right? That's what charisma means in the Greek. In English, the word carries the same definition which is why it's a good word that we use. But in English, the word gift also has another nuance. It means unique ability or skill, as in, she's a really gifted athlete. I have a gift for sales. Right? That person is gifted. You have all heard those expressions, right? So in that sense, when we read the, the word gift in our Bibles, we unconsciously bring both those meaning to the text when in fact the Greek word for gift is only saying that which is freely given, graciously given, a favor bestowed. In other words, 
The word in Greek describes the nature of the act, that it's a gracious free act, not the result of the act, and now you have this ability to do something else. That's part of the English definition. We're pouring back into the Greek. So when we look at the Greek word in the, in the Bible, a full one-third of the time, there's no way it means special ability. It would be absurd to translate it that way. Another third of the time, you might be able to make that fit maybe, and the final third of the time, it can only say that if you're bringing this idea and concept with you and reading it back into the text. Now you say, how is that possible? That, that doesn't make any sense. Now, I don't want to freak you out. We do this in our language all the time. Let me give you two illustrations. I can run a mile in a minute. Right? Some of you run a business. Some of you have a run-down car. Some of your kids run up the electricity bill. All using the same word, but radically different concepts. The word is spelt the same. You look in the dictionary, and you're going to see all these definitions. Here's another one, bored. Not as in, I wish this sermon was over because I'm bored, but like a, a two-by-four that you use to build something. Or something you stand on in the ocean and ride the waves with. Or a group of women making decisions as a board of directors. Or food that you eat, as in your pay includes room and board. Radically different meanings from the same word. What is going on? That's what we call semantic domain. Words have a range of meanings. And it's not necessarily the word by itself that carries the meaning, although it is the, it is the case. Look at it this way. Words are not like boxcars that have meaning embedded in them so much as they are pointers to ideas. And you understand the way the word works in this, the way it's used in the sentence and surrounding ideas. That's how the word works. So to assume that, that it means special ability, misses the point. So one of the most important places we see this in Romans chapter 12. Paul talks about God giving gifts to people. But before you even get to Romans 12, the word charisma has been used by Paul five times in Romans. And none of them carry this idea of special ability. Okay, let's, look, let's take a look at them. Romans chapter 1 verse 11 for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, charisma, to strengthen you. Ah, there you go. You say, yes, he wants to give them a special ability. Mm -mm, but look at what verse 12 says. Verse 12 defines what he means. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. The gift he wants them to share and give is the encouragement from each other's faith. It's not a special ability there. Romans 5.15, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. One last verse you're familiar with. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what is Paul talking about here? It is clear that the gift is eternal life, right? It's not about powers that you have to discover and then use. As a matter of fact, if we tried to read that definition into some of these verses, how wonky would that be? And the free power that you have to discover is not like the result of that one man's sin, right? It just doesn't make sense. So it's clearly there talking about just something that's graciously given, Romans eleven twenty nine 29. For the gifts, plural, charismata, 
and the calling of God are irrevocable. Paul is talking about here the promises and privileges given to the nation of Israel. It has nothing to do with special abilities that you have to discover and then you use because the Holy Spirit gave it to you. Right? So by the time we get to Romans 12 and Paul starts talking about the gifts God gives, it is impossible then to start reading that word in a completely different nuance. That's not how language works. Reason two. Paul's central concern in these four passages, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, the spiritual gift passages, is that every believer fulfills their role in building up the community of faith. That's the big idea of what Paul is communicating. Whenever we start talking about spiritual gifts, the context of what Paul is talking about is how every Christian is building up the body of Christ. Now, a special note here is that it's actually the Corinthians, not Paul, that wants to know about special abilities. So you're in 1 Corinthians by now. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11. Let me do that in my own Bible here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. So after Paul says hello and, and gives the, the, the typical thanksgiving, look at verse 10. I'm going to read verse 10 and verse 11. So Paul is now getting into the meat of his message. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And so what happens is, from chapter 1, for the next several chapters, Paul is addressing all these divisions that Chloe's people gave the report of the Corinthian church. So Paul's getting after all the problems that they're struggling with. And then, notice with me, go to chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. Notice what Paul says. After, from chapters 1 through 6, he's talking about, hey, this is how you handle these things. This is the report I got. Now notice what he says. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So at chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians, Paul is now saying, okay, from here on out, let me address the things that you were asking me about. And this same construction, now concerning the matters that you wrote about, we see it here in chapter 7. He's talking about single or husbands and wives' relationships. Look down to verse 25. Now concerning singleness in marriage, the same thing. In chapter 8, verse 1. Now concerning the foods offered to idols. Now chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints. Chapter 16, verse 12, now concerning your brother Apollos. In other words, Paul is responding to a letter he received from the Corinthians about questions they had. What's my point? Special abilities? That wasn't even on Paul's mind. He was merely responding to the Corinthians who was trying to find an emphasis on special abilities that made one more spiritual than the other. And Paul is like, you are missing the point. Right? Argument three. Paul doesn't use any ability concepts in his extended metaphor of the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. In that illustration, which, by the way, is very significant because it takes up more than half of that chapter, and that chapter is also often known as the spiritual gifts chapter, more than half of the chapter, this major metaphor, has nothing to do with abilities, but the roles we play in mutually building up the body of Christ. 
from verse 12 all the way through verse 27, he's saying, look, some of us are eyes, some of us are ears, some of us are hands, but we all need each other in our various ministries, building up the body, making it healthy. He's not talking about their special abilities, but ministries that they're all serving in. I pointed out last week in verse 18, I like that phrase, it says directly that God appointed or placed us in these roles. I talked about, it's like playing chess, and you have all these different characters, and you're placing them strategically to get the job done. God's doing the same thing with the body of Christ. Argument number four, and this is a really big one. This was a big one for me personally, wrestling through this whole issue of spiritual gifts as special abilities or kind of like powers that the Holy Spirit gives you. You see, the idea of that these are ministries that all of us Christians can involve ourselves in and participate in and build up the body of Christ, that thread is woven all through the scriptures. But the idea that there are unique special abilities that the Holy Spirit gives to us and that we use them as ways to, to do ministry doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament except 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and a little bit in Ephesians 4 and Romans 12. And what I struggle with for so long is if this is such a huge deal as it was from my Pentecostal charismatic background, if this is such a big thing that the world's got to know about, why do we not see this all through the Bible, all through the New Testament especially? Something doesn't fit. You guys make sense of what I'm talking about here, right? And, and if you've thought about this too, you're like, yeah, why is this discerning of spirits and tongues not in every epistle if this is key, the Holy Spirit empowering us to do things? But if you view those four chapters as describing ministries, and people serving in those ministries, if you understand it that way, you begin to see this teaching everywhere in Scripture. So if a word of wisdom and word of knowledge was just a way of speaking truth in love, well, then you see that everywhere in the New Testament and the Gospels. If prophecy was handling the Word of God and bringing it to bear into people's lives, well, then we're all involved to some degree in that prophetic ministry because, by the way, I know most of us think prophecy is foretelling the future, but the majority of times that word is used in the Bible, it's not foretelling the future, it's foretelling God's word. That's a big emphasis of prophecy. So if you understand prophecy is simply bringing God's word to God's people, well, then that's everywhere in the Bibles, in the Bible. If distinguishing of spirits is merely discerning the spiritual health of a brother and sister, like you see in Hebrews chapter 3 or Galatians chapter 6, well, you see that everywhere. If healing is just praying to God for the benefit of others to heal them, well, you see that in James as well. You see that all through the Gospels. If faith is simply a ministry of encouraging one another to love and good deeds, well, that's all through Scripture. And my point is, if you understand these as special abilities that the Holy Spirit uniquely gives some of us and not others of us, you don't find that anywhere else in the Gospels or the New Testament. But if these are ministries we're all called to, then you see it everywhere. Number five, Paul places a word or phrase indicating the nature of the list, right? So that we look at four lists. In 80% of the hundred lists he has in the New Testament. Yeah, Paul likes his lists. There's about a hundred of them in the New Testament. And he usually places a word in there to tell you what the point of the list is, right? Very important. Like a grocery list is a very important list, right? And then you know what it, how it functions. 
And Paul uses certain words that indicate these are ministries we all uh, take a part in. For example, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. God has appointed, so he's placed in the church. Romans 12, 4. For as in one body we are many members, and the members do not all have the same function, the way we're going to serve together. Ephesians 4.12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry or the work of service. So Paul is usually telling us the point of the lists, and it's usually about how God has placed us in the body of Christ. Six, in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, Paul discusses his own ministry as a gift of God's grace. Then in chapter 4, just as he had received a ministry, he says it stands to reason that God also has a ministry for all the believers as well. So here is his own words. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Number seven. And this one's another big one. And I think this will make a lot of sense to you when you think about it. The spiritual gifts as abilities view is predicated that we serve out of our strengths, right? Because the Holy Spirit gave you this gift, so you serve out of your strength. But notice, not all the time, but notice how often Paul says that God is glorified not in my strengths, but in my weaknesses, and when you stop and think about it, the, the idea of spiritual gifts as abilities and we serve out of our spiritual strength is actually counter to the overall New Testament teaching that weakness is the new strength. And if I were to ask you how many times you've actually had to serve in ministry and you just thought like, man, you were serving out of a, a place of weakness, but you were trying to be obedient to God. How many of you have had that experience? I think many of you have. But the spiritual gifts as abilities is directly contrary to the New Testament teaching that in our weakness, God is glorified, right? But this view believes we serve from spiritual strength, not spiritual weakness. And eighth and finally, neither Paul nor any other New Testament author ever encourages people to try and discover their special abilities, nor is there any New Testament example of any individual who embarked on such a quest. The only one I could find closely to this was Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, when he offered to pay money so that he could receive the Holy Spirit to do these things, and he was rebuked. That's the only time I see somebody in the New Testament seeking power from the Holy Spirit in that way. Now, some of you who might be, I know we have a, a couple in our church that are from a charismatic Pentecostal background. So, 1 Corinthians 12, 31 and 1 Corinthians 14, 39, Paul says, but eagerly pursue the prophecy, right? So he, so he said, well, what about that passage? Paul's telling them to eagerly pursue it. There is a problem with that, that the verb can be an indicative as much as an imperative. In other words, our translations, and again, Greek's different than English, the translation committees, and I think by and large based on, this is the prevailing view, and our translations were written, the ESV was made in 2000, so it's a, it's a relatively new translation. They translated that with the prevailing view that this is an imperative. But the actual verb can easily be an indicative. In other words, Paul can be saying, 
You're pursuing these spiritual gifts and not forbidden to speak in tongues, but I'm asking you to seek a better way. In other words, Paul's not encouraging them to do that. He's simply stating, you guys are doing this, but you ought to be seeking love. It actually could be actually a rebuke. Okay, that's a technical thing. We don't need to get into that. So that was so those are eight arguments why I believe the Bible's not talking about spiritual gifts as special abilities you have to then discover and then use, but actually saying these are all ministries that all the people of God can jump into to build up the body of Christ. Oh, bonus reason. Okay, I didn't put this one up here. Bonus reason. How do I frame this? Not so, because here's the thing everyone in today thinks of it this way, right? So I went back and realized that nobody outside of New Testament scripture, right? So the guys that Paul, Peter, John, Timothy discipled, and we have their writings Polycarp, Clement, Ignatius, Caius, Papias, those guys, their writings, and even early church writings of the second century, like the Didache and the Shepherd of Hermas, none of them talked about spiritual gifts as special abilities. All of them talked about it as ministries that every Christian in the church is involved in. So not only do we not see that in the New Testament, even the guys that Paul and Peter and John and Timothy and Epaphras and all those guys discipled and led to Christ in the second century, so basically at the, at the kind of close of the New Testament writings, the early church, none of them talked about spiritual gifts as special abilities but ministries that the body of Christ involves themselves in. So, so here's the thing. So here's the thing. If we have all these reasons, and there are more, and even in the second century, nobody's talking about spiritual gifts that way, why do we do this today, right? And partly, I believe, is because we are so entrenched because of what happened in the Azusa Street Revival and the way we've been looking at it through this lens because we think the English word gift means special ability, so therefore that Greek word has to mean and all those other reasons. We've thought about this this way for so long, we have lost the ability to think any other way about this. And, and I can see it in some of your faces. You're like, huh? Because I was there too. We've simply lost the ability to read scripture in any other way, and I believe this has negatively affected our churches. And that's why I'm taking the time to talk to you about it. And I believe we need to get back on track. So the question is, well, then how has this view hurt us? Why, why does this matter? And I'll begin to kind of land the plane here. Why does this matter? Let me give you three impl implications of emphasizing spiritual gifts as abilities and how that has been detrimental to us as a church. Number one, people get tunnel vision. People get tunnel vision about their giftedness or lack thereof, at least in their own mind. And so what happens is they become less willing to get involved in other kinds of ministries on the one hand. Or on the other hand, their identity gets caught up in their particular giftedness. Right? So, so they get tunnel vision. Like they, so I, I can't do any other ministry. How many times as a pastor I've approached people and I've heard people say, with, I've given them a ministry opportunity, and they say, oh, I can't do that because that's not my gift. Okay, so how many times people have shut down an opportunity to be a blessing because that's not their gift? Or on the other hand, that is all their gift and they won't do anything else. So I remember as a young Christian, so we were at a church plant. We didn't have our own building. So every Friday night and Sunday morning, we had to set up for church. And one Friday night, we were setting up, you know, setting chairs, swiping the brooms and all this. And there was this guy, let's say his name was Tony. 
and, and he was sitting on a bar stool, and he was playing guitar, and he was humming, and we're like cracking a sweat. It's in Hawaii, summertime, where it's hot. And I was like, Tony, hey man, can you, can you help us set up here? And no lie, that's a Hawaiian version here, he, no joke, he looks at me and says, bro, that, that's, that's not my gift. <laughs> and I was a young Christian, so I wasn't, I wasn't very tactful, I admit. I was, and I just said, I'm slipping in the pigeon here, but I'm trying to, should I do it? So I just said, basically, Dude, you're an idiot. You don't need a gift from the Spirit. It's a broom. Grab the broom and sweep, right? <laughs> now, not, not everybody is that extreme, but I bet every one of you have heard someone tell you, well, that's just not my gift, right? So they have blocked out other opportunities to be a blessing to the body of Christ based on this view that the Holy Spirit hadn't gifted them to do it, right? On the other hand, on the other extreme, I have had people defined by their gift, and they have come to this church, and they would say, well, these are my gifts, and you got to find a way for me to serve in these gifts, and, and if you can't find a way for me to serve in these gifts, then this is not the church for me, which is totally bizarre, because the whole idea of gifts that Paul's talking about is to be a part of building up the body of Christ, but that mentality, it's all about like the I, I, I'm, I'm, gift, I'm God's gift, literally, and if you can't use me, then I'm out of here. Wait a minute. The Bible's talking about we use our gifts to build the body up, not as a place to platform your special abilities. Right? I had, a, I had a, a woman in our church determined to use her gift, and well-meaning, but like wanted to use her gift, very frustrated that she couldn't use her gift here. Called her husband, and the husband would kind of get mad at me about, you've got to use my wife's gift. She's not being used here. And it just happened to be the place she wanted to serve. We didn't have a need there, right? So I said, hey, but you know what? Like critical needs here and here and here in our church. And I could totally see you being a blessing there. Nope, not going to do it. Because I'm not gifted. This is my gift. And you've got to let me use my gift. And they left the church. The opposite of what the Bible's saying is that, man, when we come together, it's not about how can I use my special powers to bless you all. It's about rolling up the sleeves and say, okay, what's God doing here? And how do I get a part of, get, get behind what God's doing to be a blessing? Right? So the, the one downside is this. People get a tunnel vision about their gifts. The second downside of this is some people, and, and even spiritually mature Christians, can't even figure out what their spiritual gifts are. If I were to ask everyone here, like, what are your spirits based on this conventional view? How has the Spirit gifted you? Now, some of you probably could answer, right? But, but a lot of you may be just kind of confused. You may not even know what your spiritual gift are, is, right? Or you might name things that just don't make any sense. My point is, this whole idea of, of waiting for the Spirit to give you an ability can be a complete unnecessary distraction. Furthermore, it can lead to discouragement in your life. Say if you're serving in ministry and you're not bearing the kind of fruit you want, and you start thinking, oh, that's because I'm not gifted in this. And then you start thinking, man, did I miss God's will? I, I, I chose plan B instead of plan A. Now, now I'm, I'm blowing it. And since I'm occupying this place where somebody else is supposed to be doing it, now there's a domino effect, all because I made a, I'm not using my gift correctly. Totally unnecessary. Friends, the list in Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are not gifts you discover. They're just simply ministries that you can be a part of. 
Now, now to be clear, I just want to be clear on this too. There are offices that do require certain skill and ability. I, I get that. I'm not saying that that isn't the case. What I'm making the case for is these are not supernatural abilities you've got to wait for the Holy Spirit to give you. These are ministries that are open to all of us. Third, reason why this is important for us, why this matters. People who think that spiritual gifts are special abilities, they actually have to answer two questions rather than one. So here's how it goes. A, what's my special spiritual ability? And then B, where does God want me to serve? And then what you have to do is somehow you have to correlate those two questions with each other. But people who understand that what Paul's talking about, and these are just ministries to serve, you only have to answer one question. Now it is, where does God want me to serve? Where does God want me to serve, right? It's a lot easier. Okay, like I did, I have a, a fourth one that came up this morning didn't, and, and didn't type it in. It's kind of tied into the first one. Spiritual gifts as abilities feeds into, I, I think one way the, the prevailing culture is invading the church is in this way. The spiritual gifts as abilities view feeds into the idea that I'm at the center rather than realizing you guys are at the center. And, and that's the way our culture is creeping in. That, hey, you got to let me do my thing rather than, hey, by God's providence, I'm part of this local church as opposed to another local church. And so maybe the way God's directing me is by the external structures of what God is already doing. And my job is to come along and keep pushing that ball down the field rather than, okay, this is what I want to do. You need to let me do what I want to do which is really arrogant. Guys, one of the most freeing things in my life is knowing how God guides me through other people. How horrible to be a senior pastor and I'm the one that's supposed to make all the decisions, call the shots, and be the fount of all wisdom. What a blessing that I get to meet with a bunch of men who I see in God's providence have been stationed around me and the staff that speak into our lives and give us wisdom and challenge us and make us think and occasionally will tell me no, right? I don't like that part, but it happens. <laughs> but isn't that how God works? God puts limitations on us for our good, not to constrain us. It's what we need. If anything you look, like I watch the celebrity world because I'm just fascinated with pop culture, how it seems like that's the life but they have no constraints. They do whatever they want, and they're all like train wrecks. God is saving us from ourselves. The idea is not, you let me do what I want to do. It's, hey, what is God doing here, and what ministry, how do I push that along? Because by God's providence, you're at this church, right? All right, so the good news about all this is, so what? There are four things about this that are great good news for us. Number one, what this means is you don't have to wait for your gifts and opportunities to align themselves, right? You don't have to just wait around for, an for those two things to come along. You don't have to wonder if God has sufficiently gifted you or not. You can just jump right in and trust that God is going to bless your obedience. You don't got to wait for that person to stop doing that thing so you can jump in and doing that thing because that's the only way you're gifted. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be worried about it. if you're good enough to do it. Man, God's like, jump in. I will enable you. Don't worry about it. This is ministry I need you to do. Jump in. Number two, I think this is the problem that the Corinthians were making. You don't have to gauge your worth based upon some level of giftedness that God may or may not have given you. 
right? You don't have to think, oh, God doesn't love me as much as he loves Gary or Bill because look how much more gifted he is. That's not how this works. And I think we saw that in the Corinthians that led to the division. Number three, you can trust and be confident that God will bless you as you jump in to serve because he's already commanded all of us to be involved in building up the body of Christ. Guys, that's where the sure money is. You don't have to worry about if I'm gifted enough and will God bless it. He says, go, just do it. Number four, you don't have to worry about getting it wrong. Guys, there's enough in our lives to be stressed out about. Figuring out which superpower God gave you is not one of them. Just jump in. The point of Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is not about special abilities that we receive and then God is able to use us. If that is the case, if you're, if you're saying, okay, I agree with you, then how do I know, how do I know where God wants me to serve? I get it. So let me give you an answer as I, as I land it today. And it's not very spiritual, okay? But I think it's helpful and practical. Just open your eyes and ears and be awake to what's going on around you. Friends, I could throw a rock into this room and hit somebody who literally just needs, needs ministry everywhere. Dads, if you notice if there's a single mom in our church, I guarantee you that what they would, they would, what they would trust, ask God that some man would spend time with their son just an afternoon Take one of them to the movies with your kids. Bring them to the men's breakfast. That's ministry. Young couples, do you see a widow, widow or widower in our church that could use a ride to service or need somebody to spend and have lunch with on Sunday afternoons? Aren't you bored with hanging out with other millennials anyway? I mean, come on. I, I remember we had this older gentleman in our church, and he used to sit right there. That's why I'm pointing. When he was 19 years old, he was firing 50 caliber rounds, anti-aircraft rounds at the Japanese Zeros in the South Pacific at 19. I remember this other lady, not at our church, another church, when she was 20, 21, because all the men were at war, she was actually a radio traffic control tower in the, Berlin, or the, the Battle of London, or the Battle of Britain, at 20 years old. Of course, you understand, those people are now in their 80s amongst us, 90s, if they're still here. And they weren't taking selfies and thinking about hashtags. They were fighting wars. Don't you want to spend time with people like that? Get perspective? Young men, do you have time on your hands? Yeah, the answer is yes, right? You guys are young. You have time on your hands. Get together with other young men and find out how to serve people in the church here. There's this young guy who comes over to my house, and every time he comes over to my house, he's always fixing things around my house because I never have the time to get to it, right? Now, I feed him all the time, and he watches my TV all the time, but I'm just saying that it's a good trade-off, and he just shows up. It's sometimes kind of embarrassing because, like, I could, like, fix that toilet. It's been that way for a month, and here he comes in and fixes it that day. The point is, young men, there's opportunities for you, young ladies, Maybe you can babysit for a young couple with kids who are just exhausted and broke. I do it for free as a ministry to them. And in the meantime, you're going to learn something about motherhood from, from an older sister in Christ. 
If you want to do that, just stand by the nursery. Look for the people that are kind of disheveled, their kind of eyes are glassy. They'd be more than happy. Now, the thing is, best of all, you don't need any superpowers to do any of this. You just got to have your eyes and ears open to what's going on around you. Friends, if you ask me, and I bet you if you ask Paul, that is a spirit-filled church. Not a hundred people having visions and speaking in tongues. That is what Paul had in mind when the Spirit of God fills the people of God. And if that, that's not enough, I mean, those don't fit. We have a book that literally has like 50 ways you can serve, ready to serve. Just grab one from the Welcome Center. This book we give out, How to Walk in the Church. You're like, oh, yawn. This has some of the best ideas of how just showing up is ministry. Have you ever thought about where you sit in the sanctuary is ministry, possibly? Right here. It doesn't require special abilities. Now, I, I, I got to say, this was about half of my sermon. <laughs> no joking. About Wednesday morning at 6 a.m., I pulled away from my desk and was like, by the time we get to this point, people are just drinking from a fire hose. I got to land it. So what I'm going to do is we're actually going to push this series one more week. So we're going to end it next week. Because one thing I haven't talked about that I know is on your mind if you're thinking about spiritual gifts, and that is what in the world is all this thing about tongues going on in the Bible? And I intentionally didn't say anything about that because that like, is a, another sermon. So next week we will end our series on the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about what tongues is in, in this view that I'm talking about. And I, I pray that it will be edifying for you. I hope you're back here next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we continue to learn and, and reform and grow on, of our understanding of your word. And thank you that even in spite of the fact that we may not always get it right, you still bless us despite ourselves. Lord, thank you for the genuine uh, revival of understanding of your imminence and your presence that our brothers and sisters in the Pentecostal Charismatic Church have brought a reminder of our dependency upon you on a daily basis, a reminder that the Holy Spirit is working in power through his people. Lord, that is something that we can take away from, from the Pentecostal charismatic movement. But Lord, also help us to reaffirm or reform our understanding of this idea that somehow the Holy Spirit is going to give select gifts, abilities to us, when in fact you've been calling us all to ministry because the needs are endless and it requires all of us. Lord, would you help everyone in this church recognize they have ministry to do, and you've already enabled them. You've given them your spirit. Lord, just help us to find ways where we can manifest your spirit in ways that build up the body of Christ, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.